Hey everyone, thanks for spending time with us this weekend. My name is Kristen and here's a look at what's coming up for you and your family here at Grace. It's not too late to sign up for a Life or Focus Group. You can see the open groups online or our Grace Church app. If you haven't downloaded the app, just search That's Grace on Google Play or the App Store. Hey, if you've been coming to Grace Church for a while now and haven't gotten connected, or you've begun serving somewhere or gotten involved in some way, but you don't really feel like it's your sweet spot, then I wanted to invite you to come to our personal growth night. It's on Sunday night, May 31st, right here at Grace Church, from 6 o'clock to 7.30. Child care is provided and so is food. All you need to do is RSVP uh, by following the instructions on the communication card and I hope I'll see you there. If you're looking for a few extra resources for spiritual and personal growth, Grace is providing you access to Right Now Media. This website has thousands of videos on kids, marriage, finances, and tons more. Check it out at grow.thatsgrace.org. My name is Sean. I'm the pastor here at Grace Church, and we're really glad that you came. So uh, thank you for taking time out of the holiday weekend to be here with the rest of our church family. Uh, we, don't, we don't take that for granted at all. Um, four weeks ago, we started a series uh, um, called Get Your Group On. And, and at the beginning of that series, we read a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4 that said that God gives uh, pastors to the churches to equip the people who are followers of Jesus uh, to do a few things, uh, to, to accomplish the mission of God, basically, but the, through, through a couple of different ways, actually, actually three different ways, that the pastor's job is to create opportunities for people to grow, for people to, to serve, and then to grow, it says, in, in unity of, of faith and love. And so Pastor Ken, last weekend, finished this series that talked about the three different environments that Grace Church has created for you to begin growing, and that, that's through our groups. And today, we're starting the second uh, series uh, along those lines uh, called uh, You Got Served. And um, the idea behind this is, is the role that each one of us play uh, out, outside of our own immediate self-interests. Uh, I think it's perfect that we're starting this series on Memorial Day weekend because on Memorial Day weekend, we celebrate two things mainly, sacrifice and selflessness. And all of us would probably say that we value sacrifice and selflessness whether or not we're always the best example of that is another thing. Uh, truthfully, my wife is a better example of both of those than I am. Uh, if the preacher had to be awesome at everything I preached about, uh, we probably wouldn't have a lot of church here on the weekends because uh, this weekend particularly uh, starts the series on something that I'm, I feel that God is actively at work in my heart trying, trying, to, trying to stretch me in. Um, the first time in, in my life that I remember somebody sacrificing for me, uh, I'd like to say, of course, I know that the one who sacrificed for me more than anybody else is my mom, you know, then my dad, I already know that, but I'm just saying, the first time that I recognized somebody was sacrificing for me, it takes a long time, by the way, for kids to recognize the sacrifice of their parents, right? Can we just get that out there? Because I'm not going to give my mom as the first example of sacrifice that I remember. 
it was my sister. Oh, we were living in Detroit at the time, and I was nine. My brother Brian was seven, and my sister Misty was five. And it was the first time that my mom and dad had left us alone by ourselves. Now, nowadays, nobody would probably ever think of leaving a nine-year-old in charge of a seven- or five-year-old by themselves. But this was the 70s. Everybody was a bad parent back then. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not. As long as my parents don't watch this, that, that, I think I'm all right saying it. Uh, but they left us alone. It's probably less than an hour. But during that short period of time, my brother still found a way to break a lamp. In the, in the, and I know that's like the cliche, but he really did break a lamp. In the, uh, he broke a lamp in the living room. And so when, you know, I knew, oh, you're in trouble. And then he made me promise that I wouldn't tell my mom and dad. So I, you know, I, I promised that I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't rat him out. And so when mom and dad came back, they noticed the, the lamp. And so they asked each one of us individually if we had broken the lamp. And all of us, of course, had said no. Uh, I kind of figured that was going to be Brian's response since he had asked me not to, not to tell on him. So uh, dad called all three of us into the living room and pointed to the lamp and said, did you guys see that lamp? Uh, who broke it? None of us were saying anything. And my dad said, I know that lamp didn't commit suicide. <laughs> we take good care of it. We feed it often. Just <laughs> That's ridiculous. He said, somebody broke it. It didn't break itself. So, uh, Sean, did you break the lamp? I said, no, sir, I didn't. Brian, did you break the lamp? No, sir, I didn't. Because when you're in trouble, you say, sir, right? <laughs> and Misty, did you break the lamp? No, sir, I didn't. He said, now one of you is lying. And because I can't tell which one of you is lying, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you one more time. And if you all say no, all three of you will get in trouble. Do you understand? And we're like, yes, sir. I'm looking over at my brother, Brian. You must say something. <laughs> right? So my dad comes to me first and he goes, Sean, did you break the lamp? No, no, sir, I, I did not break the lamp. I did not. Brian, did you break the lamp? And I'm, I'm glaring at him, right? And he's like, no, sir, I did not break the lamp. I'm like, oh, you're going to hell. <laughs> I didn't say that. I promise I wasn't going to roll on him, right? And then, uh, uh, then it gets to Misty. And then uh, uh, my dad, and I know what my brother was thinking. My brother's thinking, if I say yes, I'm getting in trouble. If I say no, I'm getting in trouble, and so are they. <laughs> right? If I'm going down, I'm going to burn the whole ship down. Everybody's going to drown with me. That's what he was thinking. When it gets to Misty, Misty, did you, did you break the lamp? Uh, she was thinking, if, if I say yes, I get in trouble, and if I say no, I still get in trouble. Now, while I knew that Brian had broken the lamp. My sister didn't know which one of us had, but she knew one of us hadn't, right? And so in her mind, if she says yes, she gets in trouble. If she says no, she gets in trouble. But if she says yes, she gets in trouble, and whichever brother of hers is innocent gets to go free. And so my sister said yes, right? Isn't that beautiful? Now, that is a small... She's stupid. Let me just say that right now. <laughs> All right, she's like in like special classes and like padding and a, okay. No, I'm just I, I I like I felt bad right for that and um, you can find out the rest of the story later if you want. I want to take time during the service to do that. But uh, that was that was that was the first time that I had seen somebody do something that they that most people wouldn't do uh, to help somebody else out in a way that most people wouldn't help out. That, that's, that's the spirit that we celebrate, but on a much larger scale for Memorial Day. We celebrate the men and women who 
dove on the hand grenade so that everybody else in the foxhole got to live. Anybody could have, but only one did do. You know what I mean? We celebrate the guys who knew when they jumped out of the boat and stormed the beaches of Normandy that they'd never see their family again. We honor that. See, it's honorable to do things for others what others wouldn't do for you. Now, this sounds a little bit like the golden rule, and the golden rule is found in most world religions, not all of them, but in most of the big ones. But it's written in a different way. It says, don't do to other people what you wouldn't have done to you. Only Christianity turns that around and makes it proactive. The other world religions have the golden rule in this form. Don't do to other people what you wouldn't want them to do to you. But Christianity says, no, it ramps it up a little bit. When Jesus says, I want you to do for others what you would want done for you. What that does is it makes me, it makes me move from being passive with my faith to being proactive in my faith. And that's what's so difficult to go out of my way to do something for somebody that I don't have to do for them. It's difficult. Now, there are certain people it's easy to do this for, like my wife and my kids. There's other people that it's difficult for me to do this for, and these are people who don't say thank you. This is for anybody who's driving next to me on 93. (laughs) I lose my religion every time I'm stuck in traffic. If I ever flip you off, you just need to pray for me and keep driving. Is what you need to do. But this type of generosity is at odds with human nature, and that's why it stands out, and that's why we celebrate it. And it stands out so much so that the Hebrew scriptures said that when God shows up in human history, you'll be able to recognize him because of the difference in the lives of other people he makes. Now, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, knew that it was his job to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He gets arrested and he's put in prison, and it's a matter of time before he ends up getting beheaded by King Herod. And during that time between when he was arrested and when he was murdered, he sends his disciples to go find out from Jesus if he really was the Messiah or not. And that's where we're going to start in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. In Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says, The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything that Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus' two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, Jesus could have given any answer in response to this question. He could have said, uh, yeah, do you, here's what I believe. Uh, here's the, the different scriptures I can quote. And here's, here, he could have said anything. Look at my doctrinal statement. He could have done anything. But Jesus' response, uh, verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard, that the blind see The lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him that God blesses those who do do not turn away because of me. And here Jesus is quoting Isaiah chapter 35. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4 through 6, it says this. 
Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He, God, is coming to save you. And when he, God, shows up in human history, when he comes, verse 5, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. The identifying marker of the Messiah is what he would do for others, not what he would do for himself. Not even what he would preach about himself. Not even what he would preach to other people about himself. The number one identifying proof that Jesus was on mission from the Father is the impact his life made in other people. We see this again in Mark chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, go to Mark chapter 10. And this is kind of like the key passage for today's teaching. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the disciples He had told them they need to go to Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, he would be betrayed uh, into the hands of men. He would be be interrogated, he'd he'd be killed, and then he would raise from the dead on the third day. So uh, then Peter has that little short conversation, if you're familiar with the story at all. If you're not, you can read it on your own time. And then after this, they just keep walking, and they're, they're kind of lost in thought a little bit because Jesus just dumped something really heavy on them, and so everybody's kind of thinking for a minute. Uh, they're thinking about death, and they're thinking about mortality and like the seriousness of the mission that Jesus is on, the consequences, what's going to happen to them. Does this mean we're all going to die? I mean, in fact, Thomas was one of the guys who had said, well, let's go to Jerusalem with Jesus so that we can all die. You know, that's it's the, the, the Thomas... Thomas had said this, so that's the mood that they're in. And as they begin thinking about this, Matthew chapter 20 is a corresponding passage to this also, and they kind of go hand in hand, and we find out that it wasn't just Jesus and his disciples, but I don't know how many other people, but at least James and John's mom was with them. Now, there were three disciples that Jesus was closer to than any of the other disciples, Peter, James, and John. In fact, when I was a little boy, there was a Sunday school song, Peter, James, and John in the sailboat, Peter, James... I'm not going to keep singing for you. I'm just saying, those are like his three tightest disciples. And James and John were brothers. And their mom was there. And they're thinking about when Jesus dies. So then, when they're thinking about Jesus, we're going to Jerusalem, he's going to die. Jesus' mom, excuse me, James and John, the two brothers, and their mama pulled Jesus aside. And they say, when you die... Is it okay if me and John for all of eternity sit on your right and left hand side? Like when you, Jesus, sit on the throne of God for all of eternity, can you put the two of us next to you? Come on, that's kind of cocky, right? I mean, you talk about kiss up. Like the teacher, like the, the student who like brings the teacher an apple, they're not popular with all the other students, Right? Oh, I know. Okay, I want everybody to watch everybody else. Make sure nobody does anything bad. Teachers got to run to the principal's office, and I'll be right back. Go get some copies or whatever it is, and they come back. And, and, and then that one, te- that one student who's got their hand raised to tell on the other person who got up and, right? Don't you, like, hate? Were you that person? Okay, because, like, I hated you when I was a child because you were always telling on me. Right? Well, that's, that's what they're saying. Can, can we sit next to you in this... Uh, um, Here's what happens, and I'm going to start reading in, in verse 41, because Jesus had told them, listen, you don't, you don't even know what you're asking. Are, are you guys able to go through what I'm going to go through? And they said, yeah. And he says, are you able to go through the kind of suffering that I'm going to go through? And they said, yeah, we'll do that too. And Jesus said, you're right, you will. And both of those guys did die as martyrs. They, they were murdered because uh, they would not 
say that they had not seen Jesus resurrected from the dead after he had died. One of the reasons why I know that they were telling the truth, because you couldn't get 11 guys, let alone hundreds of people, to be tortured to death, rather than admitting that what they had said had happened hadn't happened. If we were going to invent, uh, fabricate uh, our own religion based on a historical event, what are the odds that all of us would rather be tortured to death than admit that any one of us were making it up? Pretty, pretty small. So the fact that they were all tortured to death gives, gives me, historical evidence at least, that Jesus really did raise from the dead. He said, you're right, you will, you will suffer like me and you will die like, like I'm about to die. And then he says in verse, verse but he goes, but I, that's not my job to give those two seats out. Verse 41, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Well, that's putting it mildly, Right? Throwing rocks at me. You guys are morons, really? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna ask to sit like in the number one seat? And then uh, verse 42, so Jesus called them together and he said, listen, time out. Everybody come here. Have a seat. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over people. And officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it should be different. Rulers in this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority. You ever worked for somebody who flaunted their authority? If you're an employer, if you're a manager, have you ever been accused of this? You don't have to answer out loud. Nobody did anyway. Um, He says, but this isn't the way it's going to be with you guys. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. The truth is, if anybody has a right to be served, whoever walked this earth, it was Jesus. Am I right? God who shows up in human history. But he said, I didn't come for that reason. I deserve to be served, but I'm I'm not insisting on this. Jesus measures greatness not by the number of people who are under you, but by the number of people you're willing to put above you. That's greatness. And that is the exact opposite of what our culture values, except on Memorial Day weekend. On Memorial Day weekend, we celebrate the one guy who died so the hundred could live. The one guy who put a hundred people over him rather than being on top of a hundred people. Are you with me? We don't honor this or celebrate. No, we say we honor sacrifice and selflessness. We say these are great values that we love, but these are not things any of us really aspire to. Because what I want is recognition not anonymity. What I want is to be served by many, not to serve many. And Jesus said, whoever wants to be first among you will be the slave of everybody else. And he was allowed to say this because who had chosen to become a slave of all of mankind? He had. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, he describes Jesus' attitude here when he says in verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And here's his attitude, Paul says. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hang on to. How would we, if we're to have this attitude, what would this attitude look like? Though I am accomplished, I do not think of my accomplishments as something to be hung, to, to hang on to. Though I have been elevated and promoted at work, I do not consider my elevation as something that defines me, something to hang on to, something to protect. This is very much unlike the way we actually are. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. His privileges as what? As God. How could you do this? By giving up your privileges as what? As the authority figure. I have the right to what? Expect what? Have what rights? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, his rights. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The next verses, it won't be on the screen, but says that because of this, God elevates him to the place of highest honor and gives him a name above all other names. Jesus was not concerned as much with his rights as he was in doing what was right. That's not us. God help anybody at work who doesn't give you your rights. God help anybody at work who doesn't do what you say, listen to your idea, listen to my, I mean, we're all like, we all struggle with this, right? I'm not the only one. 1 Peter chapter 5, the second part of the verse, it won't be on the screen, but I'll read it for you. God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Here's the deal. When you make yourself awesome, when you brag on you, you know what it means to everybody else? Nothing. We can't stand people like this. People who insist on getting their way. People who insist on being respected. People who use other people. And the truth is, there are leaders around us all over the place at work who don't have title, but we listen to them because we know that they have our best interests in heart. There are people that you respect at work because of their acts of generosity and service toward you, and you listen to them. You give them authority and influence in your life. You give them influence that their position does not guarantee them. Right? When you brag on you, it means nothing. When others brag on you, it means something. But when God says you're awesome, bro, that's stinking amazing. He says, if you humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, at the right time, he will lift you up. Here's the deal. You want to be great? Serve. You want to make a difference to somebody? Serve. You want to be remembered after high school? Serve. You want to be remembered when you retire? Serve. Think of the person who had the greatest influence in your life not related to you. 
And your relationship with them is defined by their acts of generosity, selflessness, sacrifice, and service. To who? To me. Those are the people who make the greatest difference. Those are the people who matter the most to me. Those are the people who I give the most influence to and whose opinions I listen to most. Those people who I know because of the way they've acted and the decisions they've made have lived, made choices that were selfless and generous towards me. The disciples had an argument. You, you would think that Jesus pulling them aside and having this conversation with, would fix it, but, but it, di- it didn't fix anything. In fact, their last argument about this was at the, the, the Last Supper. I didn't know that until getting ready for this weekend. I mean, I'd, I'd known about the different times that the disciples had to argue over who was great. I had no idea that they actually had a fight about it at the Last Supper. You remember the painting? Da Vinci, he was there in front of them. <laughs> right? They argued over this. And it's in Luke chapter 22. If you've got your Bible, turn there. And if not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But in Luke chapter 22, Jesus just got done saying that one of you guys will betray me. And then they start talking amongst themselves, saying, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? Who, who, who's, is it me? Is it me? Is it, is it him? It's me him. And Jesus goes, it's the person to whom I take this bread and I dip it in the wine. And then the person I give this bread to, that's the person who will betray me. And the Bible says that he dips the bread into the juice and he hands it to Judas. Judas eats it, dips it in the bread and hands it to the next guy. And they keep going around. They're like, so, so which one is it? They were so convinced it, it, it wasn't him. Well, the conversation keeps going, obviously, because then they start talking about, well, it can't be me. And then that turned into a bragging session. So then they start ranking which ones of them is better than all the others because the one who's probably going to betray Jesus is probably going to be the guy in the bottom of the pile. So which one is on the bottom of the pile? Now they had ranked it differently. They put Judas at the top because when Jesus looks at Judas and says, what you got to do, get it over with, the Bible says he gets up and he leaves the Last Supper ahead of everybody else. And the disciples thought, oh, he must be going to go do something for poor people because he held the money bag for the ministry. So they thought that that's, maybe he's just going to go do something nice for people or something like that. So they, it starts an argument over who's most likely to betray Jesus versus who's less likely to betray Jesus. And in verse 24, then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them this, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. This is very similar to the conversation he had with them earlier in the last 12 months. Uh, But among you will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important than the one who sits at the table? Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves at the table? Well, the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. The very first thing that happened at the Last Supper is as they walked in, uh, Jesus had told a couple of his disciples to get the room ready so they could observe Passover but they didn't consider hiring somebody to wash, and neither, none of them volunteered to wash their feet. Well, when you came into the house in those days, you would walk in on dirty roads and sandals. Your feet would get nasty, and as your feet sweat, and it would collect more dust. It would get really gross, and they reclined at the table, so your feet were like up on cushions right next to the food. And so like it was, it was, it was custom in those days for somebody to wash uh, the, the feet of everybody who was a guest, and nobody did that. And so Jesus actually... Uh, took a bowl of water, took off his, his nice robe and put on a servant's cloak and got down at the feet of all the disciples and started washing. And then Peter was like, what do you do? Stop, you shouldn't be washing. Then they, Peter was kind of embarrassed. Like, like, I should have thought of this. 
Nobody thought of it. You know what leadership is? It's initiative. It's a person who notices something that needs to be done and is willing to set aside their rights to get it done. That's what leadership is. You don't have to have a name tag, right? It's just somebody who does what needs to be done. So, he said, so, so then uh, Peter says, you shouldn't be washing my, my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part in me. And he says, and wash my head and my hands also. I'm all in. What he's saying is, if you want a part of me, this is what life is going to look like. If you want to follow me, kid, you've got to, be, you've got to get used to watching, washing, people's, washing people's feet. Let's, let's, let's finish it. But among you, it will be different. Um, but not here, the last verse, verse 27, for I am among you as one who serves. And so that's what he was referencing is when he had, he had washed their feet when they had first walked in. Here's the deal. Leadership isn't about authority. It's about service. And the truth is, the more people you genuinely serve, the more people give you authority in their lives. You want to be remembered as a great boss? then be willing to give up some of your rights for the good of your employees. You will be talked about after you've died. The more people above you, the greater you are. Greatness is directly proportionate to sacrifice. While we honor everybody who came back from World War II, we started the holiday for all of those who did not. They gave the greater, listen, all of us is a sacrifice because the truth is even those who came back were at least willing to have died. That's noble. Are you with me? But the truth is the greater honor goes to the person who gave up the most. You want to see what greatness looks like? Just started a book this past week and as I read this chapter, I was like, dear God in heaven, let me start thinking like this man. Look him up online and you won't find very many articles about him. He's not famous. Who here has ever heard of A.W. Milne? Raise your hand. Like five people? A few? Okay, great. A hundred years ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single one-way tickets to a foreign country without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. And as they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved and everything they knew, knowing that they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the new Hebrides in the South Pacific. It's off the coast of Australia. Knowing full well that the headhunters who lived on those islands had murdered every other missionary who had ever put foot on their shores. His coffin was packed. Excuse me, Milne did not fear for his life because he had already chosen to die to himself. His coffin was packed, and for 35 years he lived among that tribe and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When did we start believing that God wants us to, sp- to send, excuse me, when did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? 
When did we start believing that faithfulness is standing still or being comfortable? When did we start believing that playing it safe is safe? Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not sitting still or working to become comfortable. Faithfulness is risking everything to storm the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of your life is to arrive safely at death. I'm 100% confident everybody in this room can live an average life, have an average funeral, and make an average difference. But I don't want that. I don't think God's created you to want that. And if you're okay with that, then I think somewhere along the way, you've stopped dreaming and you've settled. You tried it your way and you didn't get it, So then you just stopped. And I'm asking you to try it God's way once. What would greatness, this kind of greatness, pack your coffin greatness, look like in your high school? What had to happen for them to come to a place where they were willing to pack a coffin instead of suitcases, put it on the boat, knowing they would... They had to rearrange their lives. They came to a place where they said to themselves, if I get nothing in return, I will still give the rest of my life for this. What would it look like if you as a junior said, my senior, what if God were to squeeze more out of your senior year than any other senior who had ever lived? What happens to you in your heart this summer? How do you begin to think differently about your friendships? Your teammates. Who do you sit? Listen, if you're the person that God squeezes most out of than any other teenager, any other senior who'd ever lived, who do you sit with at lunch? What clubs do you join? What after school programs do you sign up for? If you're the boss that has the greatest difference in the lives of people for the glory of God than anybody else, how do you behave differently at work starting Monday morning? Then you behaved Friday afternoon. If you were the employee who made the greatest difference of any employee who had ever lived, what needs to change? What do you think Jesus called us to? Truthfully, we've boiled Christianity down to fire insurance. I'll do what it takes not to get to hell. Is how most people's religion can be summed up. But Jesus said, if you try to spare your life, I'm guaranteeing you, you'll lose it. Only those who lose their lives for my sake and the gospel will find it. That's why he said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone wants to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. You know what that is? That's selflessness. You've got to take up a cross. You know what that is? That's sacrifice. The truth is, Being a follower of Jesus is Memorial Day every day. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. 
Because only those who will choose to be selfless from this day until their last, and those who choose to be a living sacrifice, Hebrews says, from this day until their last, are the ones who find new life in Jesus. The truth is that we haven't taken Jesus' invitation to follow him as much as we've invited him to follow us. God bless me in my pursuits, but don't change me or my pursuits. That's why the church makes so little impact in the world. That's why faith is neutered in our country. That's why the divorce rate is just as high in the church as out of the church. Our faith makes no difference because we're still worshiping, loving, serving, and sacrificing for me. It's not what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. I'm asking you to reevaluate your priorities. For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about different arenas of our life where we are to be living sacrifices, where we are to serve our family, other followers of Jesus, and those who are not followers of Jesus. What I'm going to ask you to do is bow your head and pray with me. Taylor will come up after we pray and tell us what to do next. God, I pray that we would be moved. I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us where we're being selfish, where we are using people to get things instead of using things to serve people. God, break our hearts over our selfishness, over all of the ways in which we are not like you at all. Forgive us for using you like a genie, like your Santa Claus, where for good we get whatever we want. God, truthfully, if we radically sell out to you, it might mean we lose our life. It might mean we lost our reputation. It might mean that we might not retire and live in the place where we always wanted to live, but we'll live better than we ever thought we could if we do. I ask you, God, to humble us in our hearts. Call us to live, love, give, and serve like you, Jesus, lived, loved, gave, and served. Thank you for giving your life as a ransom for me, for paying for the sin debt I owed because of my disobedience to God and my selfishness towards people. Now that I have been rescued from my sin, help me to be a little bit less disobedient and a little bit less selfless. God changes from the inside out. Help us to come up with one or two ways that we can serve somebody in a way that they are completely not expecting this next week. And we do this in your great name, Jesus. Amen.